Well, I commend you, church, for helping us punt today. Thank you so very much. You did so well. Isn't it good to serve such a great God? He's wonderful in all of his ways. So I told you this last week. I'll see if uh, any of you who were here last week will remember. It's a little pop quiz. I promise I don't do this very often. But what the, if you remember last week's sermon, what kind of fish is it that I usually catch? Stupid fish. I catch stupid fish because I don't catch smart fish very well because I'm not a very good fisherman. And I will be the first to admit, but I love stupid fish. And those are the fish that I catch. They're the ones stupid enough to, to bite on what I am presenting to them. And somehow, in spite of all of my mistakes, when I catch a stupid fish and I encounter one and he bites on or she bites on, it makes me a happy fisherman because I'm not very, very very good at this thing, but I love the fish and I have a lot of fun. We're going to finish our series today called Gone Fishing. And you'll remember this came from something that Peter said to his companions after the Lord had resurrected from the dead. After he had been crucified, but he had resurrected from the dead. And Jesus and his fellow disciples, you'll remember, had seen him two times prior to this incident that I'm talking to you about. But one day comes up and they're kind of holed up. They're getting a little cabin fever. And Peter turns to his other disciple friends and he says, I'm going fishing. And they said, we're going to go with you. And you'll remember the the event that we preached about last week. We talked a little bit about it, how it ended up being deja vu. They fished all night in the same body of water, by the way. They had done years, three years before when Jesus introduced himself to them in such a powerful way. And they fished all night. And there was a lone figure on the shore, just like he had done three years before. He asked them the question, hey, friends, have you caught any fish? And they said, no. And you know the rest of the story because I I shared that with you. And I've enjoyed, I want to tell you, I've enjoyed preaching this series to you. And I hope that you've enjoyed hearing it. But most importantly, I pray that, that this thing has helped you some. We talked about the importance of being hooked by Jesus in the sermon called Hooked. And we talked about that. And I ask you, are you hooked by him? Has he gotten a hold of your life? And are you hooked by and and for him? And then we talked about being invited by Jesus to fish for people as opposed to living our life and having our own destiny. He gives us one. And we talked about that. We also spent some time looking at the fact that people have a tendency to check out on the Lord. And to go back to the familiar, to go back to their old life, that is kind of a tendency of ours. But he has a tendency to tug the line. So in that second message called line, I talked about how the Lord reminded them, you're no longer fishers of fish. You're my fishers of men. What are you doing out here fishing for fish? And it was Jesus' way of tugging that line. And last week, we spent some time with a conversation that Jesus took Peter to. And consequently, all of his disciples, the sinker conversation, when he took the took it really deep and he kept looking at Peter and saying, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Peter, do you love me? And we talked about how that went deep and how that Jesus Christ will have that conversation with virtually every one of his followers. 
Once we are hooked by him, there will come a time when the Lord will confront us with the same question that he confronted Peter. And you remember me asking you, how would we be able to answer that question today if Jesus brings us to that that question of the depth of our love and we examine ways that we can at least see uh, that are indicators at least of how much we love the Lord and we spent some time with that. Does Jesus have us hook line and sinker today i'm wrapping up our series with a warning today i want to remind you of something that sometimes we can forget although it's a very real thing god gave us these bodies to live in and we live in a very tactile physical world and most of our our way of life and interacting in here and being alive has to do with what's in this physical kingdom, if you will. God made more than one kingdom. This is the kingdom of earth. And we experience each other mostly through our bodies. We see, we hear, we, we smell, we touch. And, and we interact in a very physical form. And before me, what I can see before my eyes is the kingdom of this world. And that's what you and I are made up of. And we are part of that stuff. We, it's the kingdom that God created. But there's another kingdom that's in this room with us right now. It's not the kingdom that we can see. But there is a spiritual kingdom. There, there's the kingdom of heaven that Jesus spoke about a lot. And there's the kingdom of darkness. And it's in existence today. And today, I want to issue a warning to you. That just as real as the chair that you are sitting on, there exists one named Satan. He is as real as anyone you are near. He exists today, and I just need you to know he is your enemy. He's bent on destroying you. And today, I want to talk to you a little bit and issue a warning wrapping this series up. Because if Satan would have his way. And here's what I will tell you about him. He is a thief. He is a killer. And he's always among us. And he targets us. And if he could, this thief and this killer would do something like this. Satan could do this, if he were allowed to do this, he would rob us from the Lord. He would take us from him and he would destroy us and devour us. The Bible tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, someone to destroy. And I will tell you that he particularly hates Christians. What he wants to do is lure us away from our our uh, Savior, our King of Kings, our God. It's exactly what he did with God's first purely human children. And Satan has been doing this for a very long time. I want to take you to Genesis chapter 3, the first book of the Bible. And I want to, if God helps me, to kind of take the blinders off of our eyes a little bit and reveal to us what his plan is for us. It's here. This is what he would like to do to every one of us. Genesis 3, beginning with verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees of the garden. But God did say 
You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I want to give you a little bit of the backstory of this. We just read through this. So I'm not going to, to overdo this, but I want you to hear me. And, and if you will, even though you've heard this before, try to receive it in your heart and understand what the scriptures teach us about who Satan is. The serpent in Genesis chapter 3 is the devil. He is Satan. And Satan is a creation of God, a mighty angel who happened to have fallen. But he was a powerful angel before he fell. And he became the enemy of God when he, because of pride, rebelled against the Lord and decided that he wanted to overthrow God and be himself become God. And that's such an odd thing to me that the creation wanted to overcome the creator. But that's how Satan saw himself. He read his own press. He believed that he was all that and two bags of chips. And he thought that he should be God. He sat there thinking to himself, if I were God, I would do this and I would do that and I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that. And he somehow had so much charisma that he convinced one third of the angels in existence to follow him. And he raised up a revolt, a, a, a rebellion, if you were, and it failed. And he was cast out of heaven and cast onto the earth, the Bible tells us, along with the demons. And by the way, when you read of Jesus casting demons out of someone, those are fallen angels who were with Satan in the rebellion. Evil creatures. And when he was cast out of, the, uh, of heaven and away from God, and when he was defeated, Satan began to absolutely despise the Lord God. And he made himself the enemy, the sworn enemy of God in everything and everyone that God loves. He opposes God at any possible step that he can do. And he absolutely hates people because God loves them. And so one of his missions, if you will, until he is utterly destroyed, is to kill, destroy Harm, steal from as many people as he can, because to hurt a person is to hurt the heavenly father. Satan is prevented from just outright destroying or annihilating the human race and praise the Lord for that. He would have done so a long time ago if God would have allowed him to do so. So what he does is take advantage of something that God gave to him and to every person that God has ever created. A free will. You see, God gives us choice. And God never wanted somebody to follow him or love him because they had to. God offers this beautiful gift called a free will. You get to choose to love him or you get to choose to reject him. And if you're not hearing anything else I say in this sermon, I'm asking you to tune this little remark in, please. 
Nobody can stand at the judgment seat of God and point their finger at God and say, it's your fault that I'm not uh, being received into your kingdom. If you don't go to heaven, it's because you made that choice. I'm not saying that to be cruel or unkind. It is because you didn't choose him. You have that opportunity. And I love what the scripture tells us. And we sang about this. The scripture reminds us that when we belong to the Lord, once he hooks us, nobody can pluck us out of the hand of almighty God. Satan would have done that to you long ago if he could. Here's his problem. He can't. He doesn't have that power. He doesn't have the ability to do it. But what he does is he takes advantage of people's free wills. And he lures people away from their God. He especially delights in luring a child of God back into rebellion and ultimately to destruction. Genesis 3.1 states here at the very beginning that Satan is crafty. He is. He's a master of deceit. I'm not here giving him a lot of credit here, but he is a very intelligent being. And he's very crafty. And he is a master deceiver. Jesus unveiled him to be the father of lies. That's what he does. His language is to tell lies. Jesus said he is a murderer and a liar. And that's who Satan is. So in a moment, we're going to look at how he deceived God's first human beings. But the key thing I ask you to hear today is this. Satan is still the enemy of God. And he's still among us. He's still a thief. He's still a deceiver. He's still a liar. And he's still a killer. And he is here among us, targeting us right this moment. He is bent on destroying you and destroying as many as he can. It is his mission to do so. And he delights in luring people away from the safety of a wonderful relationship with the Heavenly Father. That is what he wants to do. Now, on a personal level, I'm asking you, do not be deceived. Please understand that Satan has no love for you whatsoever. He doesn't care about you. And that's especially true if you're a Christian. I'll put it to you this way. He does not want to negotiate a truce with you. He will never quit. He will never relent. He will always hate you. And he isn't satisfied just to leave you alone. He's never going to get to the point where he says, well, they're in Christ's hands now and I might as well stop. That will never happen as long as you are breathing air, as long as you are alive. He is hanging on to the hope that he can lure you away from the Lord God. All because he wants to hurt God the Father. All because he hates God so much. And he will never be satisfied until he would annihilate you if he could. He wants you broken. He wants you bleeding and ultimately destroyed. He will use you to hurt the father. Now, I want to look at how it is that Satan worked in the lives of Adam and Eve. We read this first story. And most of you have heard this story all of your life. If you've been in church at all, you've heard this story uh, before too long in, in being there. But I want to just remind you of what it was that Satan did. And my prayer is that we're in some way unveiling, just showing him for who he is. 
That's my hope and prayer. And again, I'm going to say this to you now. What he did to Adam and Eve, unfortunately, is still working today in the lives of people on earth today. He's using the exact same method he's used for eons. And it works, unfortunately. The first thing that he did, I would suggest to you, in order to to draw them away from God and their intimacy away from God, Adam and Eve, the first thing he did was to capture their attention. That's a function of a lure. A lure captures the attention of the fish, hopefully, when you throw it in. You see, he drew their focus to something that they did not have. There's so many things that Adam and Eve did have. They were living in a paradise. They had incredible intimacy with God. Every day he would come down. They would walk in the cool of the evening with him and talk to him face to face. They had eternal life, eternal youth. They had bodies that were working perfectly and weren't ever sick. There was never any pain in their bodies. They enjoyed a pain-free, trouble-free life. But now suddenly they were fixed on what they did not have, what they were forbidden to do, what it was that Satan was saying to her is that God say really to you that you can't eat any fruit in the, uh, of the trees and he started out with a deception with a lie that wasn't what God said Eve did correct him Eve said no no there's just one tree that we may not eat out of now she added her own little bit of uh, lying to it she said we're not even allowed to touch it or we're going to die And God never said, don't touch the tree. But he did say, don't eat of this tree. I put it there. Now, why would God do that? Why wouldn't God just let human beings live in a perfect paradise without any temptation? Again, it's because he values us choosing to love him. And we get that free will and we get the opportunity to exercise our free will. What is astounding to me as I think about it is there was only one rule. One rule. The rest was was gravy for them. But anyway. Way, that's all there was. One rule. I didn't grow up with one rule. Let me tell you that. But but he captured, Satan captured their attention. They were fixated on the Lord. Now, my friends, this doesn't look very good to any of you, I hope. If it does, we need to discuss me maybe referring you to some help, okay? But this doesn't look very tasty to you. This doesn't look very good. But let me tell you to some fish, this is delicious. This looks awesome. This is like pizza to us, okay? It is the best. It's like putting a big old fat pizza in front of a bunch of teenagers, man. They're going to look like that, I'm just saying. But that's what this is like to a fish, man. When a fish sees this dangling in the water, Man, this is amazing. And what Satan does to us is get us to focus on that what we don't, which we don't have. And again, in spite of the fact that Adam and Eve had so much, their, their gaze now was focused on what they didn't have. Oh, you mean you don't have knowledge of good and evil? Of course you don't. God's not going to do that. He's holding back. You don't have that because God won't let you have it. And the reason he doesn't let you have it is because you'll be like him. You eat of that tree, you'll be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. Shame you don't know. It's pretty awesome. It's the same trick that he has pulled on people for eons. Look at my lore. Isn't that delicious? You don't have it. 
I don't care what you have out there. Listen, I need to say to you, they weren't starving. There was food plentiful all around it, and it was delicious. I'm sure that the fruit of the other tree was delicious for them. I'm sure they had more than enough to eat. But Satan got them to fixate on his lore. Look at this. You don't have it. And that's what Satan does to people. And, you know, it's, it's sad, but that's what he does. And you know what it was? And this is what's so amazing. He prayed on their own evil desires to get them to rebel against God. It was their desire that tempted them. Look at James chapter 12, or sorry, James chapter 1, verses 12 through 16 with me. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say God has tempted me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's when she took some of it. She ate it. And her husband, by the way, was right there. And he didn't offer a whole lot of resistance either, according to the word of God. You don't have this. And I want to say to you, you know, for 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 any of you who are older like me and have snow on the rooftop or else you're all your hair is gone. Um, I want to say to you that uh, Flip Wilson was wrong. Remember Flip Wilson? Some of you do. Some of you looking at me going, who, who? Flip Wilson was uh, a, a wonderful comedian. He was a very, very funny man. He had a TV on, sh- on uh, sorry, a show on television called The Flip Wilson Show. And on one of those, uh, one of the skits that he, he would do, uh, he would play a character by the name of Geraldine Jones. I still remember Geraldine. Flip was a funny man, and he could really do the falsetto voice. And in there, there would always be a time when he would do or she would do something wrong and then would say, the devil made me do it. And I want to tell you, that's wrong. That's not biblical at all. Satan cannot make you sin against God. And by the way, that's good news, Christian. Here's what the Bible says instead, just to reveal how Satan is to to us. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's the power we all have. We have a choice we can make. But oh, he drew their attention to the Lord. And he had them looking at what they did not have. And man, he was he had them fixated on his Lord. Listen, right now, there's somebody probably in the sound of my voice who is under attack, being drawn to what you don't have. And the scary thing is, something happens sometimes to a person whose attention is fixated on the Lord. They become willing to put at risk everything to get that lure. And people may be in in danger of losing their families. They may be in danger of losing respect of other people, intimacy with their God, fellowship with other Christians, the stability of their jobs. And yet they're blinded by their own desire of the lure. They have to have the Lord. And they're thinking about what they don't have because they're fixated on the Lord so much so they're forgetting what they have. 
I grew up near a small irrigation pond and um, I I loved where I grew up. Uh, I really enjoyed being in that area. And that little pond belonged to a farmer who would let me go over there. And somewhere along the way, uh, the farmer stocked that pond or somebody stocked that pond. And there were bass in this pond and there were bluegill that were really like citation sized bluegill. And so they were fun to catch. And I would go fishing over there. But there were some other inhabitants there in the pond as well. And one day I'm fishing for bass and I have my my plastic worm on and I'm casting it. I could cast it far enough to hit the other bank. It was sandy and I could kind of just work it into the water and make it go across the water. And the bass just went crazy over my lure and I would snatch up bass that way. Well, one day I'm fishing this one corner and I noticed when I when I looked up that there was a very large bullfrog sitting there. And that pond uh, was was home for some really big monsters bullfrogs. Uh, some of them, we stretch them out and measure them. They'd be about 13, 14 inches long. Big, long old frogs. And, and you know, had that great song in the summer. Anyway, I saw one. And he was sitting out there sunning himself. And this idea struck my little ADD mind. And so I said, I wonder what he'll do. So I flipped that worm over next to him. And it was about all three feet from him. And as soon as it hit the shore... You know, they don't have necks. So he turned his whole body. He stared at the Lord. And I had him. He was already fixated on the Lord. I smiled to myself and I thought, this is going to be fun. So I just let it sit there and he's just really looking at it. And I just gave it a little twitch, just a little twitch. And that dumb bullfrog jumped over there, gulped it right down. And I had a blast reeling in this bullfrog to myself. He's fighting for all he's got, man. My pole is bending over. I had a great time. And, And fortunately for the bullfrog, who was very stupid, fortunately for the bullfrog... I let him go. I I managed to use a pair of pliers and get the uh, hook out of his tongue. And so he went away with a sore tongue. And I don't know if he would ever eat another one of those things. But it was just fun for me to do that. But what an illustration for me because he got fixated on the Lord. And the moment that he did, I knew I had him. I had him. He wanted that Lord so bad. Please hear me. Someone here is right there. You're staring at the lore of Satan. And I want you to hear me. It's not too late to back away and to look in another direction. Don't move any closer. Move away. You're fixated. Don't look at just what you can gain. Think about all that you have and all that you can lose. I don't want people to lose their families. I don't want people to lose loved ones. I don't want Satan to lure away another person from their relationship with God. The second thing that Satan did, and it's just tied right into this, is he deceived Adam and Eve. He said, surely, or you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the thing about lures. They're not real. That's not a real worm. It's a plastic lie. It's a representation of something that isn't even real. This promises to be a wonderful, tasty meal without any consequences. But inside of the lure is a hook. 
And that's what Satan does. He doesn't throw the real thing out there. It's never without consequences. It turns out that although the fruit of the tree of good and no, uh, of, of knowledge of good and evil was probably tasty, obtaining that knowledge the way they did of good and evil wasn't all that it was cracked up to be for Adam and Eve. It turned out that in the end, disobeying God like that was catastrophic for them. In the end, Adam and Eve lost more than they gained in their lives. They lost their innocence. They covered up. They realized they were naked. They didn't know before then. It wasn't a thought to them that nakedness was something for them to be ashamed of. Suddenly, a husband and a wife are covering up. They lost the amazing intimacy that they had with their God. They lost the ease of life because they were thrown out of their home. Cast out of paradise. They lost the ability to enjoy life the way that they had. What they gained was the corruption of sin. And then death began to take hold of their bodies. I believe and I have no idea how long Adam and Eve existed in the garden. And lived the way that they lived. All because they fixated on Satan's lie. His plastic lie. All because... They listened to his lies. And until the day that they sinned, they had perfect bodies. I mean, they were blessed with absolute health. They never felt poorly. They, they had perfect bodies. And I'm not trying to be too cutesy, but I have to wonder if after they sin and now they're out in, into another place in the world, I have to wonder if, if one morning um, while they were sleeping next to one another, one of them breathed on the other. And, and the other one said, oh, my word, what is that? <laughs> well, you know what that is? That's a smell of death in us. Our bodies are not going to last forever. And let me tell you something. That has had an effect on humanity from the day that they sinned against the Lord God. Satan had been successful with them. And it wasn't worth it. In the end. They began to know what pain and misery felt like. In addition to all of that, what they did affects you and affects me. We live with this every single day. We're tempted every single day. We live with bodies that get sick and get old and has to have pain in them. We live with all of that. We live with the sicknesses in the world. We live with the consequences of the attitudes and the sin in our own hearts. And in addition to that, Jesus was put on a cross because of what they did. I kind of want to talk to them when I go to heaven and say, what is up with you people? Satan had been successful. He got them to look and he lied to them. He appealed to their desires and he deceived them with the notion that they could be like God. A plastic deception. And they were less like God after they ate the fruit than they were before. Their innocence was gone. Their godlike hearts were changed. How many times has Satan deceived people? Countless to us. We have no way of counting it. The thing is, he's just using the same techniques today over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm trying not to sound too unkind here when I say this, but I'm telling you the truth. What Satan relies on is the stupidity of people. 
just like I like stupid fish who thinks this looks good. Satan does the same thing. He just thinks we're dumber than, than dumb. And he relies on us to do stupid things. Satan catches us in moments of weakness and vulnerability. He catches us in moments of stupidity. And, and I'll say, that bullfrog I caught, really stupid. But so are people. I mean, it's amazing to me. And he loves it. He loves catching people. Sometimes people get in so deep that the rest of us marvel at their decision making. I mean, in the face of reason, in the face of destruction, in the face of destroying their own children, some people will dive back into the mess that they've been put in before. In America, children go hungry every day in the United States of America. In 2011, listen to this staggering number, 50.1 million Americans lived in food insecure households. 33 million adults and almost 17 million children were in food insecure homes. Jumping up to 2014, 14% of households, 17.5 million households, one in seven are food insecure. Meaning they don't have enough food in their homes to feed everybody the meals that we would normally have. In the year 2014, there were 46.7 million people in poverty in the United States of America, which is up from 37 million in 2007. In seven years, we gained that many more people who live in poverty. And the number of poor is near the largest number it's ever been in 52 years for which Poverty has been, poverty statistics have been published. Now, what's not mentioned here really in these kind of reports, and you can look this up anytime you want, is why it happens. And what I'm about to say to you is not politically correct and probably won't make everybody happy to hear. But I know about this because I lived it. So I want you to understand that I know something about this. I lived in a food insecure home and I was one of these you see in many homes not all of them but in many of them children go hungry not because there's not enough food in America not because there's not enough programs and food pantries around to help them but because one or both of their parents would rather get drunk or rather get high than feed their kids and that's how far Deception can take people. People are rotting away in jail for a lure because they got caught up because and I don't mean this on kind because they made stupid choices. And their people suffer. And I don't even know how to count the, the suffering, how to calculate for you the suffering when people are deceived by Satan to the point of then they become so ensnared and so entrapped that they harm people they love. They steal from people they love. They do things like this. And again, I know this. I lived it. I know what it feels like. To look around in the cabinets and look for food and not see it there, but know that my mother was high. I know that feeling. And I'm saying to you that that is what Satan will do. He is crafty. He is deceptive. It's not cute and it's not funny. He destroys people. He takes them out 
And he wants to do that. And I pray for God to just unveil his secrecy among us today. Finally, let me tell you one more thing that Satan did with these people. He deserted them. He just left them. Genesis 3, then the eyes of both of them, uh, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. First of all, I can preach a whole sermon on this moment when God confronts them. And the first thing that Adam does is throw his wife under the bus. What on earth? But that's what sin does, by the way. That's our heart. That's what it looks like. But his wife, and of course she threw Satan under the bus. But can I point out something to you? When all of this was going down and when the consequences were falling and when when all of this was being real about realized when everything that had changed had changed because of their sin and they covered up because they're trying to hide and they felt ashamed. They blamed they lost paradise. They lost intimacy with God. Where was Satan? He wasn't standing there defending them. I can tell you that he didn't take responsibility and say, yep, I did this. He was abandoning them to their own destruction. He was letting God do whatever he wanted to do. He never spoke up for them. People, Satan is not your friend. He hates you. He will never be there for you, ever. He will never be there. All he wants is to laugh at you when you suffer. He'll step back. He'll watch you wallowing in your own mire, in your own suffering. He'll be glad for your pain. He'll never step up and give you any comfort whatsoever. And God forbid, if anybody in the sound of my voice ends up not being in heaven, he's not going to be pleading your case for you, and he's not going to be sad about it. He hates humanity. I mentioned a little earlier. That somebody here probably is in the throes of temptation. Someone here have your eyes on his Lord. And he's working his plan to draw you in and away from Christ. That's what he did to King David. That's what he will do to any child of God if he can. What's sad is some will hear this sermon this morning and just disregard it. Say, I'm different. What I'm doing isn't really that bad. And I believe that the reason I felt led to preach this is for somebody to have a chance. Somebody here, it's not too late. And you can get free. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. What a promise. There is no temptation that has seized you. But what is common to man? God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... 
He will also provide a way out so that you may stand up under it. I learned it in King James and I quoted in King James, but it's the same verse. I'm asking you give yourself a chance and flee from temptation. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Deliberately get your eyes off of his lore and move away before you're taken. Think about what you now have and what you will lose if you keep being fixated on the Lord. Weigh it out. Consider if it's worth it to you. Consider all the outcomes. What's the cost to you? What's the cost to others? Please see it for what it is. It's a lore. It's fake. Not even real. Not even what it seems to be to you. And it's not what it's cracked up to be. I don't care what it looks like to you. It's not what it is cracked up to be. If truth were told, every one of us are tempted often, aren't we? It's okay. You can, you're safe to say, yes, I am tempted often. I am, and we all are, and to be tempted is not a sin. It's just called being a human being. And every one of you face temptations, and every one of you have vulnerabilities. I'm vulnerable when I'm behind the wheel of a car and somebody is saluting me and telling me I'm number one. Oh, the temptations. Oh, the temptations. It's a good thing I haven't invented a ray to pick that other car up and shake them around and put them back down. You know, it's, you know, it's just a good thing I don't have that. I mean, we all have those moments of vulnerability. You're tempted every single day. And so am I. We all have those sources because lying within our human heart and our humanness is the potential for evil. In fact, I say this all the time. Just when I think I've seen the depth of depravity that a human being can sink to, there's a new headline and something even more atrocious. I never thought I would see a day when an organization that calls themselves religious would decapitate people. I never thought I would see that. And just when I thought I saw something more evil than that, or, or I've seen the worst thing I've ever seen, something worse happens. And here it is. It happens every day. So the human heart can be tempted. The Lord can be thrown out there. We're all tempted often. But some of us today needed a reminder that there's pain when we, res- when we uh, fall uh, prey to Satan's lures. There's pain. There's destruction. And again, let me say it to you. If he catches you, he's not trying to be nice to you. He is not your friend. He wants to ensnare you and he wants to get you to do your nevers. He wants you to be in a place that you said to yourself, I'll never be here. I'll never do that. That's what he wants you to do. Sitting here, standing before you. Are people who have fallen for the Lord. And thank God for his grace. Amen. I wish I could tell you that I've never felt the pain of falling for Satan's scheme. Couldn't say that. Couldn't say that. But I thank God for a God who loves me and who is poised to forgive me. Joe, if you will, come up forward and play for me. Thank you, buddy. We're wrapping this service up this morning. And listen, I want you to understand that today, I've prayed about this and I've thought about this. I I need to say something to you. If you have taken the Lord, you have fallen Temptation has won the day and there's been pain in your life because of it. I want to remind you to counter all of that 
is a loving Savior that we sang about today. And His grace is amazing. I've seen people that I love so much and respect so much bite the lure, get taken, spread pain everywhere they are, and I've seen the Lord's grace wash them. I don't think the story in Luke chapter 15 is there by accident when Jesus talked about a man who went away from his father and he rebelled. And I just love the end of the story, or the, the, at least the part where he comes home. And just indulge me for a second. He's practiced, man. He has a speech all prepared. He knows this speech. And he knows what he's going to say. And he makes his way home. And before he even gets to the house, his dad has run to him. And he begins to say his speech to him. Father, I've sinned against you. And I'm not worthy to be your son. That's what he practiced. But he didn't get those words out. Before his father had his arms around him. And was embracing him. And rejoicing over the fact that he was home. And before his father was putting a robe on him. And sandals on his feet. And a ring on his finger. And and preparing a celebration. And when he said these words. I love this. This son of mine was dead. But he's alive again. And that is the heart of God. You may have bitten the lure. You may have experienced the pain and and many consequences because of it. But we serve a God that is full of grace. And I've thought about how do I close this service when I've spent so much time trying to unveil for all of us the real truth about what Satan wants to do with us and how he wants to hook us as opposed to what Jesus has done when he hooks us. And what I have decided is that this is a very private moment for you and your God. And so I'm just going to ask you to sit where you are and to bow your eyes or bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to ask you to consider where you are right now. Is there anyone here tonight today? And I'm not asking you to move a muscle. You may come. You may pray. You may speak to me afterward if you want to. But if you have been fixating on something that you know God not be pleased with in your life. I'm going to challenge you today to commit to to look away. Move away from the Lord and say, Father, I want to run to you. I need you. Give me strength to go away from this, to leave this behind. And maybe there's somebody here in that that ship has sailed. You've already failed. You've already felt the sting of your failure. But I want you to see the Father loves you. And I wonder if there's somebody here today who just needs to cry out to God. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I'm so sorry for what I've done. And I'm ready to to live for you. I want you to rescue me. I want to be clean. I want my heart washed. I don't want to go back to what I've done. I want to be free. Please forgive my sins. He is poised to do that this very second. He loves you today.